everybody, we're here with a little bit of housekeeping this morning before we get to today's episode. We have some fun info on our merch shop. You'll see some sneak peeks this week on the Crafty Ass Female newsletter. You can sign up for that on our website, craftyassfemale.com, as well as on our IG stories at Crafty Ass Female and on our personal Instagrams. Mine is Are You Kristen? Amanda's. Amanda Rose Zamp. In addition to the merch shop, you can check out our latest book club episode coming out on August 3rd on patreon.com slash craftyassfemale. Our book club is exclusive to Patreon members. You can head over and support us on Patreon. Our book club for July and August is Austin Cleon, Steal Like an Artist. I'm super excited. Yeah, I read it a long time ago and revisiting it is like... It's been an experience and a half just to revisit it and hear the things that helped me and have kind of lived in my mind and didn't realize it when I first read it. And now to have them reappear and go, yeah, I remember when he said that. Yeah, that makes sense now. Like, it's been a fun revisit. It is. It has been a really fun revisit. And it's nice that most of us have it on our shelves or can grab it from the library or a used bookstore. And if you really want to, there is a cool journal and you can grab that from Amazon or wherever books are sold. And today's episode is a really, really fun episode. We have France Wisniewski with us from Banana Fish Studios. And we talked to France for um, hours. Like, (laughs) By far hours. our longest interviewee person. <laughs> um, the conversation was so... We, we talked about everything. I am so excited for you guys to hear this interview. We talked to France for so long that I um, I cut some of the interview out. And there is a whole clip of bonus footage for you guys for free on Patreon. Um, so you guys can head over after the interview is over and catch not only this full interview, um, but a whole extra bonus footage. Um for free on patreon.com slash craftiestfemale and there's the after chatter show as well for patreon subscribers so we have so much friends for you guys um because she is incredible she's amazing she is brilliant she is talented she's hilarious and amanda she has a really soothing voice i love her voice and you'll hear it in the episode but She's slow and she thinks out everything she wants to say. And when she finally says it, it's like, yes, queen. <laughs> and, like, and that's, I feel like that was my reaction throughout her whole episode. And she gets you there at such a nice pace. <laughs> it was real. She was really a lot of fun. And I think her, that little snippet that's going to be free on Patreon, is going to be a really good um, opportunity for all of you who hear us talk about after chatter but don't necessarily want to go on patreon or you've been thinking about it but it's just a really good snippet of patreon and kind of feeling yourself around for it and it's free without further ado here's uh here's crafty ass female and friends wisniewski welcome to the crafty ass female podcast an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between we are your hosts amanda zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kristen. Hi, France. Hi. Today we are here with France Wisniewski of Banana Fish Studio, and she's just the coolest. France is a graphic designer. She loves paper and I first found her 
um, on the Studio Calico message boards, like, I don't know, <laughs> years ago when that was a thing. And then I followed her on Instagram and she just has a great design eye. She has a beautiful heart and she just has a fabulous wit. And I'm really excited to hear everything that she has to say today. And a very soothing voice, I might add. Oh, Your voice is super you. soothing. We've talked. I mean, we've talked with you for forty minutes already before these people are hearing you. But I love your voice. Thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah. So show. tell us more about you personally and professionally. Okay. Well, first, I think it's magic that you found me on the Studio Calico <laughs> message board because. I never really spent that much time there. I've actually never really spent that much time on any message board just because I, I, I never really knew what to say. I was very good at following threads, yeah. but not very good at input, at least input that was original. It seemed that everything that I'd wanted to say had already been said. Mm. So there was nothing for me to add to the conversation. But I've always... I don't know if I should say always, but I've been a part of the memory keeping community since the late 90s. But I've always sort of hovered in the background. I was listening to Allie on, on your show a while back when Allie Edwards was on. And when she said that as soon as she started scrapbooking, she started submitting layouts, I thought, that blows my mind because it didn't even occur to me to send my layouts or to connect with anybody in regard to my layouts when I first started scrapbooking. Mm. I wasn't thinking about building a community really with my hobby. So it took me a while before I became comfortable opening up with the community and really sort of being a part of it. That's why I think it's amazing that you found me there because I just, I was almost like a ghost. Yeah, but you're so interesting and you're so, you're someone that I would want to talk to and you're someone that I would want to be friends with and you're someone that has such an inherent value in the things that you are saying so that when you did say things, it's like, well, shit, I want to, you know, those are the things that I want to go here. Oh, well, I hope so. I mean, I... To me, within this hobby, I've always seen it as just a way to connect with women and a way to share stories. And that's been the most important part to me. And any way that we get to do that is, is amazing. So I realized that in order for me to really be a part of it, I would have to put myself out there more. And... I am a middle-aged woman, you know, I did not grow up with the internet. So opening up to someone that I did not really know, someone that was essentially stranger to me was difficult at first. So it took me a while to, to really get the hang of the whole internet thing, which is strange because working within the internet is a big part of my business. I mean, it's a big part of my day job. So it's interesting that when, when it came to my hobby, I felt less secure opening up in that regard. Okay. So two questions we ask everybody. Okay. How are you crafty 
as a creative person? And how are you crafty as a resourceful person? Oh, I, I actually think they're the same for me. I'm crafty as a crafty person <laughs> and I'm resourceful as a crafty person because I, when I was a kid, my, my mom used to say, what was it that she used to say? I'm trying to remember. She used to, she used to tell us this all the time. Necessity is the mother of invention. And she used to say, if I just give you everything, you'll never figure things out on your own. So we would make our own games, like make them from scratch, <laughs> like the board, the pieces, all of it. We would make our own clothes. She would take us to secondhand shops and we would just put together our own outfits. And we had to figure a lot of stuff out. And I think that that's also just by virtue of not really having a ton of luxuries or access to luxuries. It was really like, I think she wanted to raise kids that felt as though they could do anything in the world. And when you feel like you could make anything, you feel like you could do anything. I think that's totally true. And I think that it all began with making us confident makers. Yeah. You know, like my brother can cook, cooks better than I do. Like my sister can change an oil, change a flat tire. Like we all know how to do things. We know how to make things. Nothing intimidates us. She wanted to create a sense of fearlessness in her kids. Because I think that as an immigrant, she grew up with a lot of fear. And she didn't want her kids. She's like, if, if I could give my kid one thing, it would be that. Because true freedom mm -hmm. is fearlessness. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's not being afraid of anything. That's freedom. Yes. And you just don't have to be afraid. And if I could teach them to make things and to depend on themselves, then they're not going to feel fearless. I mean, they're not going to feel fear in this world that is so full of things to be afraid of. Yeah. You know, if you feel like you can depend on yourself, it opens you up in so many different ways. Like I've been like, when you get lost, a lack of confidence keeps you lost, but feeling like, you know what? I'll find my way. I'm good. I can figure it out. You know, you can't wait for someone to find you. Right. It's so you know, true. I feel so, like being resourceful is having is having confidence, basically. That's exactly right. That, that's, You're right. I mean, for me, that's all it is, is being resourceful is having faith in your ability to make something out of nothing. I love that answer. You know? Me too. That's so good. Yeah. One of the things that you've been doing recently that has really caught my eye and a lot of our listeners' eyes is um, working in traveler's notebooks. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear about how you do your memory keeping in traveler's notebooks and um, what your process is with that. Um, do you start with a specific story? Do you start with products? Um, and I know you do a little bit with hybrid scrapbooking where you take yes. digital elements and then turn them into paper layouts. So I know I just asked you like six questions. 
I apologize. That's okay. Well, yeah, before you answer that. any, can we just run over, like, Traveler's Notebooks, as far as I understand, is just the tall, skinny notebook, and then you're basically supposed to use, like, basically lay over that one page per thing. Like, right? Like, I feel like people are just decorate the page, that long page, right? Well, I hesitate to say that you should or should right. not do anything. Okay. Because I don't want to suggest that there's one way to do it. I feel as though one of the reasons why I've always had so much fun with notebooks is because I started at a time when there was very little example of people scrapbooking in a notebook. So that gave me the freedom to just do whatever. Yeah. And I think that when we have the freedom to do whatever, it it makes us feel a little bit more just pioneering in a way. Yeah. And I wouldn't even, I mean, I don't even know if I would use the word pioneering. I just think that we often are so filled up with ideas of how things should be the rules, so to speak, that we don't blaze our own trail. That's true. And one of the things that I love about a fresh notebook is that, I, is that idea that it can be anything. And I'm about to start something new. I'm about to blaze a trail. I don't know what this is going to become, anything other than a collection of stories. That's all I'm trying to create. And I've always subscribed to the fact, at least for myself, that there's no there's no one way to scrapbook. There's no one size fits all. I have made layouts. I have made mini books. I have done all kinds of things and I continue to do all kinds of things. And I don't put any limits on myself. Right now I'm doing notebooks. I don't know if I'll do notebooks forever, but any way that I feel motivated to continue documenting my memories in this way, is what I will do. So for now, it's notebooks. It's always fascinating to me that people refer to notebooks as a trend. And I say, it's, it's hardly a trend. I mean, the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci still exist. Things that, that, when we've taken the time to put pen to paper, and then we've made the effort to protect that, those things last. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard people say things like, well, I don't want to scrapbook in a notebook because I just don't think it's durable. It doesn't, it's not long lasting. And I, and I always think when people say that, well, I have two giant scrapbooks with page protectors in my craft room. And it's as easy for me to gather up all my notebooks and take them out to the garbage as it is for me to gather my two jumbo size albums and take them out to the garbage. So if you don't care about something, it's, it's going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. But if you care about something and you protect it and you take care of it, it'll last. So to me, I care about my stories. I'm going to protect my notebooks the same way I would protect my albums and hopefully they last at least as long as I do. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And also 
correct. Yeah. And also, we've talked about this too, like just documenting as, yes, we have an end result notebook that we can hold, but just the matter of creating. So even if the notebooks is the medium that day, it's the vessel in which you get to spend the time doing what you love and then getting to photograph to say, I made this, which is, I think, like every memory keeping, sharing person in our community is like, hi, I made this. I made this. Look, guys, I made this. Like, do you believe that I make this? Like, I think that that's a thread. And in that way, who cares what happens to the end result? Like, and I mean, there's also that think, element. I think it also sparks an instinct in us. When we're holding a notebook, the instinct is to write. That's true. The instinct is to document. And I like connecting, reconnecting with that instinct. When I would sit with a 12 by 12 piece of scrapbook paper, my instinct was one of confusion a lot of times. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to begin. I didn't know what to use. And that turned me off of scrapbooking. I wanted to feel like empowered when I walked into my craft room. I didn't want to feel reluctant. Right. Yeah. And I think that any approach that makes you feel excited is, is the right one for you. Yes. And I feel like if you have to kind of like float in between different, mm-hmm. different formats, do it. You know, Traveler's Notebooks doesn't have to be your primary approach to memory keeping. It could be one approach for a certain kind of story. Or you don't have to do it at all. It's about stories, man. It's not, it's not, you know, I don't think that it should be complicated. Right. It should be the most natural thing in the world. I mean, cavemen were doing it. Right. On the walls of caves. Right. So doing it in in, in an opera feels feels very modern yeah and it feels very it feels very analog a little nostalgic old school but what I love that I've been feeling myself like oozing out of myself lately your latest blog post that I when I checked your blog and looked it was a traveler's notebook page of like half digital stuff and you kind of walk through how like you know how you designed the digital or what you did digitally and then the analog stuff that you kind of put on top. So that speaks to me because yeah, for a long time I couldn't digital because I didn't have the know-how or whatever, but the more versed I am in graphic design, the more that world's been opening up to me, the more like you're saying I'm inspired and empowered to use what I know and incorporate it in different ways. So like you must be feeling that too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, and my, my work in the Traveler's Notebook has evolved. I started scrapbooking in in my notebook back in 2015, I think. And when I first started, it looked a lot different than it looks now. Just because I've tried different things, I've left myself open to figuring out how to how to sew in my notebook, how to type on pages in my notebook. That's how come in the beginning I was ma- I was building my pages directly on the pages of my notebook. Mm-hmm. And 
Now I actually build my pages outside of my notebook and then I glue them into the notebook itself. And I had a friend recently who told me that seems awfully redundant that, that you're just gluing that paper onto the paper of your notebook. And I said, this is scrapbooking. We glue paper onto paper all the time. (laughs) Onto paper, onto paper, onto paper. Like, what do you mean? So, yeah, there's a lot of redundancy redundancy. in crafting. (laughs) That's such a good point. Redundancy is is a design technique. Uh, Yeah. We repeat things all the time. That's, yeah, like knitting. So, (laughs) yeah. Talk about redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, that was the most peculiar observation because, yes. I am gluing a piece of paper to another piece of paper, but that is basically the hallmark of this hobby. So I feel like I am right in step with what I have always done and I'm making it work for me. And I think that's the key is making it work for you. I, I like including hybrid elements. The way for me to do that is to glue paper onto paper. So that that's what I do. If, if you're not into it, if you prefer building directly on the pages of your notebook, go for it. I am not the TN police. So. <laughs> TN is Traveler's Notebooks, everyone. It took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> it's so funny. Right. Yeah, yeah. As crafty as I feel like I am, I do have my pigeonhole of like what I work your on and then when people on. mention. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so funny. Traveler's Notebook. <laughs> Got it. It's such a fun way to gather your stories and like you can there's no one saying you have to go out and buy the right like the traveler's notebook from like whatever travelersnotebook.com is or you know whoever the original traveler's notebook people are you know go to the drugstore and buy a notebook go to you know make your own notebook thank you go like yeah uh I have a field notes subscription because I'm obsessed with them. I am so obsessed. I love them too. So obsessed with them. Um, and I, like, I have, full confession, I have a huge, like, block when it comes to working inside of tall traveler's notebooks. But I, like, I love the size. So I've been using my six hole punch because I'm obsessed with six hole punches and putting them in. Oh, because I got the Kelly Perky kits, guys. Um, Kelly Perky Traveler no- Traveler's Notebook kits because uh, they're amazing. You do they're amazing. you do design work for Kelly Perky. I have. Um, and the Kelly Perky Traveler's Notebooks are awesome. I love the weight of her paper, and so they fit really well inside of binders. And so I design my pages that way. And so if you have trouble with a notebook but you really like the size of tns put them in a binder i love that people are doing that it feels like so deconstructed and it's just it feels like i'm gonna make this work for me someone sat there and said you know what i am feeling the size but i like the binder mechanism i'm gonna make this work for me i love it i think it's amazing I have taken three, like six by eight chipboard binders and cut them down to make something skinnier just because I love that TN layout, yeah. that traveler's notebook 
layout, the long, skinny size. So it's a whatever great works. size. It's yeah, really it's good. A- um, I love it for travel albums. You have a picture, then you have some words. It's really good for. Um, and then it's just again, like you were saying, it's great for just collections of stories. And like, who doesn't have collections of stories? And it's good to just get going again. I mean, one of the things that's been so amazing to me, and I've actually had a lot of people contact me and say, this got me started again. I had become so overwhelmed by my product. I'd become overwhelmed by all of that 12 by 12 real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I like this got me going again. Or I've received messages from people saying, you know, I am an empty nester. And I just don't take as many pictures as I did, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago. And I have reclaimed my love of memory keeping Mm, because this feels like something I can do. And it's the same thing for new scrapbookers, young scrapbookers who don't want to invest a ton of money in what might be you know, a fleeting hobby, Right. you know, you're young, you're trying stuff out. You don't know what's going to stick. So you don't want to go and invest tons of money into a hobby that may not take or that you have no room for in your dorm. You know, it's just, it's like, you've got room for a notebook. And, and 12 by 12 is a very, like one, it takes up a ton of space. Yeah. Two, it is, insanely expensive to ship so if you live in a place where you know you can't pop into michael's and buy the same sheets of paper that they've had for 10 years um you need to order online and the shipping charges are insane so we all love our patterned paper i think patterned paper is one of those things that like universally brings paper crafters to paper crafting like I love patterns and I can have it on paper, but one of the best things, okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think hobbies in and of themselves are activities of, of privilege, Yes. you know, and scrapbooking is not exempt from that, even though it's just paper, it's an investment. Yes. Time is a luxury. Space in our homes is a luxury. A luxury that many can't afford. And when we continue to say things like telling stories are valuable, you know, documenting your life is important. There's a, there are a lot of different kinds of stories. And I don't want anyone to feel like they can't tell theirs because they can't afford to. Yes. And to me, seeing what people can do in a notebook makes this hobby so much more accessible to a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. I think we forget when we walk into our, into our craft rooms that, that we have a bounty, you know? We have so much. Yeah. Yeah, I and think... Go ahead. Storytelling should be 
something that belongs to everybody. Anybody should be able to do that. Anybody should be able to document their stories in a creative way. You know, and if notebooks makes it easier, then I'm all for it. Agreed. Absolutely. And now friends, what came first? Like, because you're a graphic designer. So did the graphic design kind of help propel the memory keeping or was all these years of memory keeping kind of leaning you into graphic design? Actually, actually, no, I took a very like windy road to becoming a graphic designer. I graduated as an English lit major. I was initially a teacher and I needed to make more money. I had to pay off a lot of student loans, grad school. So I ended up going to work at a bank. So I was working like basically in their brand new like online banking department that they were in the process of developing. So I was beta testing mm. for, for, this, for this thing that was going to be so new and was going to revolutionize banking, which it did eventually. But at the time, I, I knew that I didn't love to teach. And unfortunately, I'd already spent, you know, six years in college studying that. So I wasn't really sure what I was going to do from there. And I was part of an art journaling group that I discovered in college. Actually, one of my professors found one of my notebooks in her classroom. (laughs) I'd forgotten it in there. And she was like, have you ever thought of art journaling? You should join our group. So I did. And everyone was 55 years old (laughs) and up. And I just, in my late teens, early 20s, just spent my life hanging out with these older folks, which felt natural to me because, like I told you, I grew up with my grandfather. And so basically, we'd go to the movies together and they would show their, like, AARP card and I would show (laughs) my student ID card. We were like, it's all discounts. Yeah, peas in a pod. I love it. They love discounts as much (laughs) as I love discounts. So, but that's initially how I just started making things in a notebook, but it felt very introspective. It didn't feel like memory keeping. Mm -hmm. It felt more just a way of processing my feelings at the time. So working at this, at this bank, I remember asking the developers at one point, so who makes it look like this? Are you guys the ones that make it look like this? They said, oh, no, there's a team of designers that do that. I'm just like, there is a team of designers who do that? I'm like, who are these people that you speak of? And that's, that's basically how all of that happens. But for me, scrapbooking and graphic design were all were always two different worlds, which is why, or which is how Banana Fish Studio was born, really, because I was a new graphic designer, but I was also a new a newish scrapbooker. And I didn't want the two to kind of cross. I didn't want my potential clients, my graphic design clients to know about the scrapbooking stuff just because it wasn't in line with what I was doing at that time. There was definitely a bit of a, you know, a bias towards scrapbookers, I would say, within the graphic design community. And 
So Banana Fish Studio was born out of trying to keep that identity separate. <laughs> it was not intended to be a brand. It was not intended to be a business. It was just a separate way for me to have an identity online mm-hmm. connected to my scrapbooking. Yeah. And so people often think that I began as a graphic designer because it was my intention to design product for scrapbooking. And that was not that could, that was not the case at all. I basically stumbled into designing product for scrapbooking. I had my husband and I had moved to Atlanta. He took a job there. I didn't know a soul in Atlanta. And he said, "You know what? Why don't you take a beat? Just like rest. You've, you know, you're you're tired. You've been you're burnt out. Just relax, set up the house, do you, like, do whatever you want. Right. And I had never, since I was 15, been given this, like, yeah. opportunity to do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do I He's do He's a keeper. What yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I thought, oh, I mean, I didn't have kids. So I was like, okay, I'll just do what I want. And so I set up this amazing craft room, the craft room of my dreams. And then I'm like, now what? (laughs) So I had done some designing for people who had Etsy shops, just like designing packaging and just random stuff like that. Most of them were my friends. So, but I knew of Etsy and I knew it was like this burgeoning marketplace online. So I decided to open up my own Etsy shop and I'm like, I'm going to make stuff for scrapbookers. And I started off by making these random little chipboard buttons. So it wasn't even anything I designed. It was something I physically made by hand and buttons were in at that time but i was like this is not sustainable (laughs) making these chipboard buttons by hand i have to think of something else i was like what do i do what do i make and i want to make something that people are going to want to buy and and my husband was like why do people need to buy it like why don't you just make the stuff that you make for yourself And I thought, well, I guess I could do that. You know, who cares if people buy it? So I just started making the kinds of things I was making for myself anyway. Which were what? Journal cards, tags, just anything that popped into my mind, I would make it because I was designing it and then getting it printed at a local print shop and cutting it and punching it out myself. And packaging it. So really anything I wanted to make, I could make, so long as it was printed matter, right, which right, was right. 99% right. of what I was using at the time. I mean, back then, this was probably about 2008. So there wasn't a whole lot of like puffy stickers right. and acetate pieces. And so there wasn't a whole lot of dimensional elements. Mm-hmm. So almost everything was paper-based. Yeah. So I could get that printed. I could cut that. I could punch that. So I was doing all of that and people were buying it. I was making mini books, like custom mini books and people were buying it. I had someone hit me up on Instagram like two weeks ago saying, I love your mini, your 
your mini books, do you still make them? <laughs> I was like, girl, that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> the answer is how much would you pay for them? <laughs> because I very well could make you one. That is absolutely the answer. <laughs> that is absolutely possible. But so it just yeah, came so that, out of like, what do I want in the world? And then that's it. Yeah. That was it. What do I want? Because I think it is a fool's mission to try and satisfy people through polling. Yeah. To basically saying, what do you guys want? I mean, that's, that's not to say that I don't think you should consult your right. community or your audience, right. but you have to put that in its place. That has to be one part of your entire formula for success. Because when you try to make everyone happy, you end up making nobody happy. Right. And so you just have to kind of do your thing. And I thought, I'm either going to live or die by what I know how to do. Right. Well, what I'm good at. Well, that's what it is. Like what you know how to do. Like, I think it'd be a different story if you were trying to manufacture a car part and you knew nothing about cars, but as a memory keeper and designer, and this is your world, like something you feel that you need to see. Why wouldn't that be the exact thing that everyone else would want to see, especially in that community? It's like funny. Your brain doesn't think that right away. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. I mean, I see budding product designers now within the crafting industry struggling a bit. Mm. And I always say, you know, we're a fickle bunch. I don't say it that cleanly. (laughs) I say a version of that. But we are a fickle bunch as scrapbookers. And we want what we want. And... When we don't want something, we make it painfully obvious that we don't want it. And it could be, it could be a, tough, a tough business. Anytime you're trying to satisfy a group of people that feel so totally invested in not only your product, but you, that can get complicated. Yes. And, and you're trying to satisfy on a lot of different levels and I think it's I think it's not easy you know I didn't have to worry about that as much back then it was it was less of an issue back then in some ways I think it was easier for me back then because online shopping was still pretty new there wasn't a whole lot of competition there wasn't a whole lot of people doing what i was doing Mm -hmm. at that time and that's how come i always tell people when there's a new social media platform try it get on there do stuff because it'll either hit or it won't but you want to be one of the first you know like don't be afraid just try everything it's not going to hurt Right. right, you're going to either find your thing or it's not going to be your thing. And if it's your thing, then it's it's going to come out so naturally with you. And other exactly. things are just not, and you'll know. And if you do the things that are natural, then they're going to work so much easier and you're not going to have those resistances. Exactly. Just, just try everything. Be open to everything. I feel like we've become a society where we're so quick to shut down everything to hate on everything the minute we 
the minute we hear it, the minute we come across it. And it's just give it some time. Like, I feel like there's never any time to just let things percolate. It's the same thing with like TV and movies. If a TV show doesn't gain traction in like the first two episodes, it's, it's canceled. I know, it's sad. And I feel like we need more time. We needed more time with those characters. I needed some time for them to develop. Right. I feel like we just, we never have any time. And I feel like that's what I had back in 2008 when I was living in Atlanta. I had the luxury of time. Yeah. You know? I think that's a really, really good point. We have, we have less respect for creative people in this society because there was a time when someone would put out a movie, they would do it the way they wanted to do it, like Citizen Kane. How many people were dying to see that? I don't know. I wasn't dying to see it. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes you need to let artists do their art. Yes. Put it out into the world. Don't try to push it down. Don't try to force them into changing it to it's exactly what I just said about when you try to make everyone happy, you end up making nobody happy. If you shot eight episodes, put those eight episodes up, give that filmmaker the opportunity to to share their vision in its entirety. If people don't want it after a second season, then fine. But, But give them that show that you have some, faith in your creative people right absolutely to me i feel like over and over again businesses and corporations are basically saying we have no faith in you like this is the message that's being sent out to young people who are thinking of getting into creative fields it's like we have no faith in you we don't believe in you if what you do does not immediately gain traction then you're not good at what you do yeah, it's a, I mean, yeah, it's a quick dismissal. That's right, what I feel. You can't it's a immediately quick make a profit. Society, right. Yeah. right. And it's just that's not enough time. That's not enough time to change minds. It's not enough time to open people up. It's just it's not enough time. And it's just it's expecting too much of creative people. It's expecting us to be magicians in a lot of ways. And I think that it's turning a a future generation off of creative jobs in particular. And I think that when you don't pay creative people well, and then on the flip side, you disrespect them by not respecting their work, their time, their energy, their process, you're sending a message that that's just something that's not appreciated in this culture. Yeah. So this is a big topic I want to talk to you about. Um, one of the things in memory keeping and scrapbooking in the industry is, and has been for, for years, is design teams and creative teams. And one of the big things in the scrapbooking community are these teams of women who are usually paid with product to help promote the products of a particular brand, a particular company. And what these creative teams, these design teams do is that they get product from the companies and they create projects, which the company then uses to promote on their social media channels and 
various forms in order to get their audiences to buy the products. Um, you've served on a lot of design teams over the years. And one of the things that I wanted us to have a nice lengthy discussion about today is how women are compensated for creating content for these design teams and what effect that has on both the women who are on these design teams, um, the communities that see the women on the design teams, and the corporations that are making, you know, millions of dollars off of the work that these women do that is compensated usually just in product. Yeah. Full disclosure, I've only been on two design teams. I've been on two design teams in my entire... Entire career. <laughs> in my entire in, in my entire scrapbooking career. And that was not... I mean, that was not completely intentional. It was just how it happened. I never actually applied to any design team, really, for, for years, just because I liked creating for myself. And I didn't see the necessity to, to do it. But I was always under the impression that design teams paid. So that was initially my, what I thought, and I had no way of knowing otherwise. Because I didn't actually know anybody that was scrapbooking on a design team. Like I didn't know them enough to ask them, so what do you get? What are you making? What do you make? You know, and I feel like there's not a lot of openness. There isn't. I feel no one talks about it. And that's, that's also interesting to me. And I think it also goes back to us being women. It definitely goes back to us being women. Always talk about money and what they're making and, and women never do. Like, the, like there's some unwritten rule that it is uncouth to discuss finances. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who came up with that, but it doesn't work for me. I feel like the only way women are empowered in the workplace is if we all know what we're making yeah. and what they're making. Yeah. Could- because otherwise it's like, how do you advocate for yourself? Right. How do you advocate for each other? How do you even gauge what you should be advocating like it's how do you know it's not i have a gauge problem thank you (laughs) it's like or as a consumer how do i know what companies i want to invest in and the ones that i don't you know it's it's like i don't like this shadowy sort of thing happening where it's just if you're proud of it put it out there you know have put it out in the open it should be a conversation that we're having and it doesn't matter how you feel about it we should be at the very least be talking about it but yeah so I was on two design teams and it was my understanding that people got paid and the reason why I thought that is one time I thought I would send a layout in for submission to one of the magazines like creating keepsakes or simple scrapbooks one of them and I remember reading their online application and it said that if they chose your layout you would make I want to say like 20 or 25 dollars and I thought huh that seems fair if I spend two hours on it that's you know well but that that seems fair to me and I somehow got it in my mind that that that's what companies were paying sure for layouts absolutely I it was I had no idea that 
there was no compensation. And when I say no compensation, if there is an expectation on the other side of a box I receive at my door, that is not free. Right. Free If I am is... tasked with doing something with the contents therein, that's not free. That's work supplies. Correct. You might as well be sending me like a stapler and some, you know, ink and like a stamp that says completed. Like, I mean, it's work supplies. That's true. So, I mean, and I don't get to choose it. Right. You're not choosing it. We're storytellers. Scrapbooking is about telling stories and you're being sent supplies and saying, fit your stories into the box of these supplies. And I'm supposed to use my own personal pictures from my own personal life. I've worked in magazines for years. Every photographer that I've ever known who's taken pictures for a magazine has gotten paid for it. There are places that, that designers go to use stock photography. You still have to pay for it. So people are getting paid for the use of their pictures that are being used in media so I know at the very least, like, you're not supplying me with pictures. I have to tell my real-life stories, use my real-life pictures with a box of stuff that I didn't get to choose, and that's free stuff, and that's compensation. This is so interesting because I never thought of it this way. <laughs> but, yeah, that, all that makes a lot of sense and is super true. And then I guess, like where you want to land is on the team where you would spend money by the hundreds anyway, right? Because then you feel like that's money being saved. But like you're, the point that you're bringing up, it still doesn't take away from the fact that you're expected to do a job. So right, you're expected to do a job. Yeah. You're yeah. putting your, like, okay, so. Is it money being saved though? Because if time is money, right? think about the amount of time you're putting into that. And then think about the amount of product you're, you will actually use that comes in that box. Because I have received boxes from companies where I've been tasked with making things. And it was so much stuff. And yeah, I loved it. But there was no way I was ever going to be able to use all of that stuff. And I couldn't sell it. Right. So my choice would be to store it or to give it away, right? which is what I did, you know, 99.9% right. .9 of the time. And it's just like, so maybe I would have spent that, but maybe I wouldn't. Have. Right. What about all that time? Like, right. isn't it kind of a wash? Right. And then for so long, I thought, you know, exposure, right? Exposure is another glittery. Which made sense in like 1992. I mean, it right. made sense yeah. 10 years ago. Right. But yes. now we're in control of our own exposure. Right. Correct. And don't you want to be in control of your own exposure right. now? Absolutely. <laughs> I know that there are people out there who would say, well, I love this company and I would be buying this stuff anyway. And to be honest, I feel you because I have never been on a design team where I did not love the people right. and love the product. But there's also an expectation of compensation that goes beyond just that box of free stuff. 
it's like are we attracting the most diverse storytellers yes when we are because essentially they have to end up choosing people who have the time and the wherewithal Mm -hmm. to create for free Mm -hmm. yes that's not most of us that is not most of us that's actually very few of us and that's how come we i think we see a lot of the same people on design teams because it's the people who have basically created a life where they could do that. Right. That makes right. a lot where of they sense. Have, where they have that life where they've set it up, where they can, they can, they can do that. Right. And that's one reason why it, scrapbooking feels very, very, very white. Because a lot of the women who are, you know, ambassadors for these companies especially the bigger companies are able to be stay at home work at home women because they are you know upper middle class white women who have the ability to stay home because they have husbands that can afford to let them stay home and make craft projects for free or they did at some point. And that's a privilege. That is a privilege to be able to work for companies for free that a lot of us don't have. Yeah, and I, and I also think that what does it say about the work? What does it say about what they're contributing when you don't pay for it? It's kind of like the same thing that I think about YouTube. Like I have a YouTube channel, but I don't put a lot of stuff on it and people, you know, will say like, why aren't you adding more stuff to your YouTube channel? Well, because YouTube doesn't pay me to do that. There's no way for me to make money unless I just have thousands of followers and thousands of views. It's just, and even if I had that, the, what I make is so minimal. And a while back, I saw a conversation happening online. It was a thread and someone was talking about how it wasn't worth it to take a certain class and spend like $15 for the class when they could get the same kind of content for free on YouTube. And I thought therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem because we have now come to the place where because you have gained access to this content for free, it renders it without value. Yes. So now, so now people don't want to pay $15, which I thought was a perfectly mm-hmm. fair price because I know how long it takes to make right. videos and things like that. I know how long it takes to put together a class. Right. That felt very reasonable to me. And the fact that that is worthless because someone is able to gain similar content for free, that free content should be worth something too. Even if the person who made it has chosen to give it away, that's generosity. Mm -hmm. Yes. But we have placed a, a value on that, on that generosity. And in our heads, we say, Free means without value. Yes. And I think that's like, that's something we need to move away from, that free means without value. Because free 
does not mean without value. And, and it reflects the generosity of the maker. That's it. Yeah. And I think that when someone comes along that says, I want to get paid for this, they're seen as like money grubbers, just right. like it, it, there's nothing, there's nothing noble right. in asking to be paid what you think you're worth. Right. And that's the same across the board in a lot of industries. I've dealt with it as a graphic designer to, I've had to, people have asked me to prove my worth mm. to them. And what does that even mean? <laughs> well, it's something that a lot of creatives face. Right. I agree. But having to somehow quantify their worth to a, mm. to a corporation, like, why should we pay you this? Right. You know, why, why do you deserve this? Right. You know, yeah. and then to compound that with, for example, a design team, let's take it back to scrapbooking. I approach a, a, a team and say, I would love to create content for you. This is how much I would ask for. And their response could very easily be, why should we go with you? We have 500 applicants right here that aren't asking us for a thing. Right. But what we send them. Right. They're grateful for whatever we do. Right. Why should we pick you? <sighs> this is so true. And this is like another example of the thread in our culture for women's need to be resourceful, right? And just figure this out. Like we need to figure this out because I feel the same way. I feel like a lot in my head was, me and Kristen talk about this all the time. A lot of the decisions thus far in my creative career, which I want to expand, right? There's, there's a part of me that's, you know, I really resonated when you said you were a teacher and it didn't exactly feel like the right fit. I'm thinking about going back to teaching in the fall, but there's, there's something that I'm like, no, you've come this far. You want to be in this creative path, right? But everything you're saying is swirled into it. And for a long time, I've tried this and tried that and design team or this job for the exposure, right? For the exposure, they'll see what I could do. People will see what I could do. And then eventually it'll lead to money, right? Promise. Cross my fingers. I hope so. Look how good I am. All that is wrapped in and it leads to friggin' nowhere because these exposure is the oasis in the desert. Yes, girlfriend. Yes, because they like where you are. You're promised all this stuff, but and you're thinking all this quote unquote exposure, all this, all these numbers. Ooh, I'm I posted this product. Look at all the numbers that went up. I did this giveaway for this company. Look at all the numbers that went up. Ooh, it's working. It's working, but it's never getting you monetarily substantially anywhere. And I think. The only thing that translates into cash is cash. Yes. People will never give you money until yeah. you ask them to give you money. Yes. But I'm just, it, yeah. it's so crazy how much time and effort and stuff I'd put in for a keep going. Like that was like, that can't that, be it. That's what I'm saying is that I feel like from very young, little boys grow up into young men, become adult. They are told to or they are taught to expect something for what they do yeah. even in terms of like taking a woman out to dinner right they're always they're always taught that if you put in an investment of time or work that you should be getting something back for that 
And I feel like women are always expected to do things out of the kindness of their hearts. Right. And I think, like, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I'm kind. Doesn't even mean I have a heart. Right. So (laughs) why do I have to be, why do I have to be kind and take, like, why do I have to express kindness by taking no money? Yeah. Kindness starts with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was probably about 14 and our upstairs, I lived in an apartment building. It was a small building, but our upstairs neighbor had asked my mom, so does France babysit? They had like an eight month old. So like a baby baby. <laughs> they said, so does France babysit? I was 14. And my mom said, well, you have to ask her. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't farm my daughter out for babysitting gigs. So she was like, well, you'd have to ask France. So I was coming home from school one day and the lady approached me and she's like, France, we were wondering if you'd be interested in babysitting Jacob. And I said, no, no, <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't want to. And she said, you could watch whatever you want on TV. You could have whatever you want in the refrigerator. I'm like, I could watch whatever I want on TV and have whatever I want out of the refrigerator in my own house. You know, it's just, oh I don't God. understand why, it makes why so that much would sense. be, but, but she was saying everything she could say to get out of actually saying that she would pay me, Ugh. You know, so finally she said, well, we'll pay you $15. Okay, so I have a brother who's eight years younger than me and a sister who's three years younger than me. I'm the oldest. I know that $15 is not enough. (laughs) I might be 14 and I might be a dumb in a lot of ways. But one thing I know is that it's it's going to cost a whole lot more to watch an eight-month-old so who doesn't know me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And you intuitively felt that at like a preteen age when, at, at when you haven't age, thought about money at all. Exactly. I knew enough. And luckily, I grew up in a house where it was single mom, you know, and money was something we were acutely aware of. My mom did not hide that stuff from us. That was a conversation we had all the time. I was always very aware of what we had. And there was no way I was going to babysit for nothing. So I started like helping people with bookkeeping because they actually were willing to pay me. And I thought... I know that there's this word on the street that babysitting is the only gig out there, but it's not. There are a lot of things that young people can do. And if they show like proficiency, then people will continue to work with them. And it's like teaching young women from a young age to be resourceful, to don't just wait until somebody asks you if you can do something, but think about what you can do. What are your skills? And you know what too, like what are your skills? Like also teaching them that being trustworthy enough to be asked to handle an infant is a skill. Like a lot of times I would say, well, I got to think up this super innovative thing because that's the thing that's going to get me paid trustworthiness, reliability, like all these other things that I'd never attributed. I just was like, yeah, I'm that. 
that I could throw that in there too for free. Like, no, like it, it takes so much time to build yourself up to be a maternal trustworthy, like that someone would want to ask to babysit. Like that is a skill. <laughs> like, But you already, we already have so much yeah. of what we need yeah. to succeed. And if we're open to positive, constructive feedback, we could gain the rest, right. Right. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of like what I've lived by. And thankfully I grew up with a very strong dominant mother and a grandfather who, who, you know, thought that I was pure sunshine. I mean, it helps to have someone who just thinks you're amazing all the time. And I just, it was a very, tough, hard environment, but it was also incredibly loving and supportive and wonderful in all of the ways that it should be. And I felt like when I was ready to go out on my own, that I could do anything. I think that's really important. I think it's especially important for Brown girl. Yeah. Yeah. To feel like you can, do anything while at the same time still acknowledging your own privilege. I mean, I have a white dad, you know, I don't even look like my brother and sister and they're my brother and sister by blood and birth. And just being a few shades lighter has made a difference in my life. Having access to higher education has made a difference in my life. You know, not having children has actually made a difference in my life. So all of these things contribute to what I'm able to do. Hey, like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have some more bonus footage with France at patreon.com slash crafty female for you guys. Totally free. You can go and check that out right now. And now back with the end of the show. Okay, so to conclude the episode, what we've been doing with everyone is doing like a currently is lightning round. And what we found with our past few guests is it doesn't tend to be sometimes very lightning. (laughs) So if you want to like expand a little bit on any one of your answers, go for it. But the goal is to just be like bang, bang, bang down the currently list. That's we can find on current on Kristen's currently card, but verbally on our podcast. So let's jump right into it. So France, what are you currently watching? I am currently watching Please don't judge me. I'm currently watching 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> Who is so funny? We just had someone that, whose answer was The Bachelorette, and they said the same thing, or The Bachelor. They're just like, don't judge. <laughs> Which is interesting, but I've never watched a single Bachelor or Bachelorette. <laughs> 90 Day Fiance is your thing. <laughs> 90 Day Fiance is my thing. And The Housewives. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just New York City. That's the only one I care about. Yeah. <laughs> NYC. And, uh, and yeah, 90 day fiance. I am very proud to say. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of our listeners too are like, yes, good one. Okay. What are you currently reading? I am currently rereading, rereading. So that means I've read it twice (laughs) into thin air by John Krakauer. Ooh. It is a book about a climb to Everest in 1996 that went bad. I have to say, I'm really into stories about people in extreme situations. 
nonfiction stories about people in extreme situations. I think something happens to us when we're placed in extreme situations that really defines the people we are. You know, I hate to say that I think that people who've been through hard things or people who've been through trauma are better people, but in a lot of ways, they're better people. Right. You know, I just think that there's something about hard things that give us a deeper empathy. For sure. Just gives us just just a recognition of our place in the universe. And I think that's why I like I like to think of like climbing really, really tall mountains and like pushing myself physically to that limit. I am basically the opposite of that person, <laughs> but I like reading about it. Yeah. yeah. I like and it. I, and I feel like everyone has their mountain, you know, in their life. But when we're in, when we're climbing it and it's really hard, it's hard to remember that you'll come out with more empathy. You know, it's just, I don't know. When I have a mountain, I just complain the whole time. Like, this is so hard <laughs> and I don't want to do this. Like, you know what I mean? Something is hard. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Things are right. hard. That one got me thinking, obviously. <laughs> um, what are you currently listening to? Cardi B. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Any song in particular? I like it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's cute. She's you know, great. it's got that little, like, like that little Latino flair, yeah. and I'm digging it. So, yeah. Hey, she's popped up in this podcast more than once. We got to get sure. her on this podcast. Yeah. Have you like followed her on Instagram? Her videos just make my life. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's funny and she's real and it's just, I dig it. Her and so, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you currently making? What am I currently making? Well, scrapbooking wise. Anything wise. I should probably say that I am a person with a lot of hobbies so I scrapbook, but I also do a lot of other things. But I also knit. I'm a really big knitter. And it's interesting because my mom, she doesn't knit, but she always says, like, I feel like knitting makes you hot. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wintertime activity. <laughs> you know, spoken by the woman who still works, like, 14 hours a day because she likes it. Yeah. But it's... She's like, it just makes me hot just having all that stuff. I'm like, it's, you live in like the San Fernando Valley <laughs> in Los Angeles. Like everything makes you hot because it's hot. But no, I feel like I like to knit things that I will actually use. I'm that knitter. So in order to have the things ready for fall and winter, I need to begin in like spring and summer. Makes sense. Really, I need to begin in, in the previous winter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very slow knitter. So I'm knitting socks, I'm knitting hats and scarves, and I'm super into yarn and yarn shops. I feel like I get so much inspiration there. There's so much color. I really love merchandising, like really solid merchandising. I worked at Paper Source for a while. Mm. It was one of my side hustles. And I just loved merchandising. That was like a secret skill I didn't know I had. <laughs> And it, it became like my thing for a while, but I love merchandising. I love doing windows and yeah, but making, I'm knitting a lot right now. I love it. Me too. What are you currently feeling? I am currently feeling 
a lot. I'm current, actually, I'm currently feeling relief because um, my, my father-in-law passed away a couple months ago and it was sudden and it was, it was a really tough thing. My, my husband lost his mom when he was young mm. and his dad raised him and his brother as a single dad, never remarried. And we were all just really, really close. I was close to my father-in-law. He was a maker and he, he was manager at Ben Franklin in Virginia for a really long time. And he made his own fishing flies. Cool. He was an artist because they weren't just your everyday fishing flies. They were amazing. And when I used to, I remember one day I was making product that was going to go into a Studio Calico kit and I had so much to package and I have pictures of my father-in-law and my husband sitting at our dining room table packaging these like little bits and pieces. And the thing of it is, is he always, my whole family, but my father-in-law in particular really got it as a maker himself, just he was always like in awe of what I was doing and always appreciated it. And when I hear people talk about how like their families don't care that they scrapbook or their husbands don't care that they scrapbook, it like hurts me to my core because I know how good it feels when the people in your life appreciate it. So it's like, I'm feeling relief because I feel like we just recently celebrated him in New Jersey that's where I was when I was in New Jersey. And it felt amazing to hear all these people just talk about how amazing he was. He, um, my, my husband was young. He, they owned, he owned a flower shop. So he was also a florist. <laughs> so yeah, he wow. was just amazing, but like a maker, a maker to his core. And I am, I feel some relief that we've kind of like, gotten past a lot of the initial grief and now I'm in a place where I could just remember him with such joy I think quicker that you can get there and there's no time when that happens when it comes to grief it's just like when you can get there it's an amazing thing yeah yeah you know to just remember with joy I mean there's a there's sadness but mostly joy yeah that's really good getting to that but part where you can think of loved ones and it's a smile and it's not just that drop into your stomach and that's that is it's relief you don't know when it'll happen but when it does you feel like you can breathe again it's it's so wonderful i'm so glad that you're there that makes me so happy yeah yeah it makes me happy too yeah yeah well, this has been fantastic. Um, do you have time for after chatter? What should we talk about in after chatter? Yes. I, I hope that I've like said enough of what you wanted me to say. I oh my God, this conversation it. has been fantastic. It's been so okay. fun. Because okay. I felt like, I, I hope that I'm saying enough oh of what I'm supposed to say. You, there's never any supposed to. <laughs> yeah, it's all no about, to. this is wherever we right. go. It's always wherever wonderful. Wherever we go, that's how we roll. Right. I mean, you guys have, 
you've had such amazing shows back to back to back. You've had Thanks, this amazing girl. lineup of guests. And then there was me. No, you're right. <laughs> this, you this has been like so good. Oh my God. amazing. Yeah. I am not naturally self-deprecating. So this no, is like, no, this has been wonderful. Talk, Everyone, you know, but, Everyone knows how wonderful you are. Everyone oh. now will know how even more wonderful you are. <laughs> and then we'll head over well, to After Chatter and we can dish more like we dished for 40 minutes before this episode. That, that sounds great um, to me. Yeah. My dog is like fast asleep. He's panting because it's hot as shit up in here. But <laughs> let's keep it going. Let's keep the party going. Let's absolutely keep the party going. If you want to keep the party going with us, head over to patreon.com slash female and you can catch the After Chatter show. It is going to be amazing. I guarantee you it's going to be amazing. Everything has been amazing so far. Um, otherwise, we will catch you guys next week with another episode. We love you so much. You are an amazing audience, and we cannot thank you enough. We cannot thank you enough um, for being such wonderful guests, for being such wonderful audience, for listening to all of our amazing guests, for being such a great community and being so loving and wonderful and you guys are so awesome. Amanda, do we have anything else to tell our wonderful audience? I don't think so. Everything Fran said will be in the show notes on craftyassfemale.com. And stay tuned for more special guests from the summer. We're keeping it going. All right, guys. We will catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.